0: This is not the most together morning of my life. Um, I'm a little bit all over the place. I think this is the first time in the history of me preaching now for almost 13 years that I've walked up here and I'm like, where are my notes at? But I'm going to blame it on being the, uh, the father of a toddler, and uh, I'm going to do something. I've never done this ever before in my entire life. I'm going to preach without notes. And we'll just see what happens. It could be like five minutes long. Um, Or I could say something I really regret because I usually manuscript my sermons because I'm very nervous speaking in front of people. So I literally write out every word I'm going to say. But we'll just go with it because I have no idea. I have no memory of where I left it this morning. So it's around here somewhere. It's on the cloud. I know that. But that's okay. Um, So we have been working through Matthew chapter 10. This summer we've done Matthew chapter 8 and 9 where he's healing in chapter 10 Jesus is now sending out his disciples and he's saying you've seen me heal over and over again and now I'm sending you out as students of my way of life as students of my teaching I'm sending you out to do what I have done remember we talked about last week a disciple is someone who is with Jesus becomes like Jesus and then does what Jesus did And jesus here is sending out his disciples in matthew chapter 10 And he's saying go and do what you've seen me do Announcing the kingdom of god the good news that I am king and that i'm going to make all wrongs right now, um, let's pick up in where we left off in verse 9 matthew chapter 10 verse 9 acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts take no bag for your journey don't take two tunics or two sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food and whatever town or village you enter find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart and as you enter the house greet it if the house is worthy let your peace come upon it but if it's not worthy let your peace return to you And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Ouch, wow. Behold, I am sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves Beware of men for they will devour you over. They will deliver you over to courts They will flog you in their synagogues You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the gentiles When they deliver you over don't be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak But the spirit of our father speaking through you All right. Awesome. What an encouraging like set of advice from Jesus before you're about to head out, right? It's a little bit weird, honestly. Like, my parents, anytime I was going on a trip as a kid, they're like, better take a spare pair of underwear. You never know, you know, have clean underwear. Better take a spare tire. Better take extra. Jesus is literally contradicting what would probably the most common, wise, you know, sensible thing to take extra, Why is he doing that doesn't that seem weird and then he goes down and it seems a very discouraging message He's like you're gonna be like sheep getting eaten by wolves have a good time You know, that's just not the that's not the rallying cry you want before jesus sends you out Um, so there's a couple things we have to think about here First of all, I don't think that this is just blanket advice for all christians for all time um, if you look in verse 5 jesus says Go out and don't go anywhere among the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. Only go to the lost sheep of Israel. So this is very specific advice for this specific point in time. Why? Because we know later on he encourages them to go everywhere, to go to the entire world, to go to everybody. But right here, right now in this moment, this advice is about going to very specific people, people who are already primed and waiting for the Messiah, the long-awaited king to come. He says, that's who you're to go to. So we have to look at some of this advice and recognize, okay, 2,000 years later in a completely different context, in a completely different culture, some of these things um, aren't gonna be exact. For instance he says don't take any money don't take any supplies and yet we see the apostle paul when he's going out and starting churches he gathers money he gathers supplies he takes backup he takes resources he even writes to some of the churches hey send me extra of this because i only have one and so jesus is making some clear references just for this specific time and you say okay alex well why are we even reading this like does this even apply to us at all what's even the point of this And there's not just flip over to chapter 11. That's where we're gonna be. No, I'm just kidding There is a point because I think there can still be application from this passage to our world today Because even though he was giving some advice to very specific moment in the disciples life He's really talking to them about how to be a follower of Jesus in a world that is sometimes Anti-christian and I think that can apply today. I think we can take some application and some principles about from that um, to To apply to our lives today. Now the first thing I want to look at is this idea that as he's sending them out He's saying don't take extra money. Don't take extra supplies Don't worry about that I want you to go out and live as if you are living in the abundant kingdom that I am sending you out as messengers to be representatives of Um, I had these really cool stats from psychology in my notes wherever my notes are, you know floating in the ether uh, but there was this psychologist who's the head of a psychology department out in the Northwest. I can't remember her name at this point without my notes, but this is a real stat, right? Um, and she talked about how in psychology, one of the major point that psychologists find is that people tend to have two perspectives on life, one of abundance or one of scarcity, and that people with scarcity, they're always like, I don't have enough, I'll never have enough, I have to strive, I have to hold on to, I can't share because what I have, I've got, I must hold on to, I must keep. And the psychologist said that people who live out of an abundant mindset say, I have enough, I have what I need, what I have is good. And he says... She said they tend to be happier people. They tend to be more fulfilled people They tend to be people who can be generous who can build connections who can have collaboration And she said really what we want in our societies is people who live out of abundance What we want in our companies is people who live out of abundance rather than a scarcity mindset Um, And what jesus is saying is if you're a follower of mine if you're a citizen of my kingdom You have everything you need and everything that you have that really matters cannot be taken from you Timothy Keller was a pastor in New York City. He just died of pancreatic cancer. One of the last things he said, I listened to one of the final interviews he gave. He said this, if the resurrection is real, everything is going to be okay. This is a man dying from stage four pancreatic cancer. And he said, because I believe anything lost, anything that dies will be resurrected 100 years. If we really believe that we have citizenship in Jesus' kingdom, we can live like we have an abundance because anything lost will be restored. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean there isn't pain. But it means that we have a hope that because we are in Christ, we can live out of the abundant goodness that he supplies and provides. Scarcity tells us if someone else gets promoted, that means there's less promotion for me. If someone else has money, that means there's less money for me. If someone else gets it, that means there's less for me. Scarcity looks at what we don't have. Abundance says, I have so much. I have been so blessed. I am so grateful. And he's encouraging them as they go out not to say, oh, we need all these things. What about this? What about that? Stressing about what they don't have or what could happen. Um, Really, most people in life are looking for control. Like we want to be able to control some aspect of our life. And here's the the big reality i'm sorry to break anybody's bubble Their control is an illusion. None of us have any control Life is completely out of our control. We have very little control and what jesus is saying is if i'm in control It's okay that you're not You can't control all the factors. You can't control all the what ifs and we live in a very anxious society And jesus is saying live out of my Abundance Scarcity makes us anxious because there won't be enough jesus says I always have more people who are trusting in the abundance of jesus can be generous Because we believe god has been generous with us and he never runs out of his generosity So that's first the first lesson I think we can take here is Live out of the abundance of the kingdom that is coming Because you know what the things that matter most people can't take from you because even if they take your life You're going to be resurrected From the dead And then he goes on and he um, Goes down and he talks About this this curious thing Here he he references when you take The good news of the kingdom to people And they say "Nah, that's Not for me he says shake the dirt Off your shoe on them and you're like What what is that right This is a, a first century thing Where you're like okay Fine I'm gonna dust off my shoes And I'm gonna move on to the next house it says, don't get caught up on the people who aren't interested. I know growing up sometimes I heard in churches, like, this is very cynical, and it's like, you preach the gospel to somebody and they don't accept it, you move on to the next one. You just keep moving on because you shake off your shoes and move on. Uh, that's not i think the lesson that jesus is trying to instruct us here once again he's going to jewish people who are primed and prepared for the messiah these are people who don't need all the blanks filled in they knew what they were uh, supposed to be waiting for and looking for and hoping for and if they were rejecting it there was little more you could do they had already made up their mind most people that we encounter today have a lot of gaps in their story about jesus and so if you just said, well, I told them one time about Jesus, they weren't interested, and so I moved on, you're probably going to end up adding more barriers between them and Jesus rather than removing more barriers or moving them closer to Jesus. And then he goes on, and he, he makes this really curious thing. He says, the town that rejects the good news of my coming kingdom, oh, it'll be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than it will for that town on the day of judgment. Now, that's a pretty intense language, you know? Um, growing up, I always heard about Sodom and Gomorrah because of one sin that was the only one that they ever talked about i think we have a verse from ezekiel up here it's in my notes let's go on yep all this stuff was stuff that's supposed to be in my notes and i've just skipped over um so here we go ezekiel 16 now this is what the prophets say the sin of sodom and gomorrah was now this was the sin of your sister sodom She now first of all that's a slam right there to israel because he's writing to israel and he says hey israel You're the sister jerusalem. You're the sister of sodom Ouch, that would be like a real cutting blow She and her daughters that's daughter cities and villages around her were arrogant Oversaid and unconcerned with the poor They did not help the poor and the needy. They were proud and did detestable things before me Now, growing up, I only ever heard about one sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. But this is what the prophets say their issue was. They had a whole bunch. They didn't care about the poor and needy, and they were arrogant. They had all this abundance, but they kept it to themselves. They couldn't share it. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. And so Jesus says, some of the people, well, let me back up for a second. Usually when I think of the people who are going to reject the good news of Jesus, I think, man, they're a real bad sinner they really love some type of vice or sin and that's why they don't want anything to do with jesus kind of that's kind of the culture i grew up with people rejected jesus because they were bad sinners and they didn't want any part of him it would make them give up their sin jesus is suggesting here that the people who reject the the words of the kingdom at least a majority of them will be people like sodom who have a whole lot who are arrogant and proud, aren't interested in helping the poor, and so they don't want a new kingdom to come because the kingdom that is has kept them comfortable and in power and in wealth. These are people not rejecting the kingdom because it's going to mean confronting their sin. This is people who are rejecting the kingdom because it's going to mean giving up their comfort or giving up their power or giving up their money. It's going to force them to live out of an abundant mindset where they'll have to be generous instead of out of a scarcity mindset where they can gather and just hoard everything for themselves. Now, Jesus shifts to one of the most encouraging lines in this whole thing. I am sending you out a sheep out to the wolves to get slaughtered. Can you imagine just being there with Jesus? You're his disciples. He's like, I'm giving you authority to heal and even raise the dead just like I have. But before you go out, by the way, I just want you to know you're going to be sheep out there, and there's wolves, and they're hungry. Like, that's not a way to encourage your people. I think Jesus is just being realistic. He's just being honest. He's sending them out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, if I was there, I'd be like, Jesus, can you send me out as a tank? I don't want to be a wolf. I think I have a picture of a wolf in a tank. Yeah. I want to be like Jesus send me out as a tank amongst wolves And when those wolves come up, I just drive right over them, you know, like I don't want to be a sheep in the midst of wolves. I want to be a tank in the midst of wolves it's really interesting that Jesus's idea Of the kingdom message going forth is us not conquering the wolves Not killing the wolves not overpowering the wolves not beating the wolves down and forcing them to become a sheep our method, his method, for building the kingdom is sheep laying down their lives in the midst of wolves. Um, we're in a really interesting time in world history, in the history of our nation. Uh, there's been all kinds of things written about democracy being in crisis. And, and I have friends who are very passionate about Christian nationalism. They, they think the answer to America's problems is, If all the leadership were christian and lived by christian principles and we just enforced christianity on everybody things would be better But I think if you look at church history, that's not the case The thing is when the church is trampled when the church is crucified when the church is killed it spreads like wildfire When the church is consolidated in power it hardens and it rots And I I understand where my friends are coming from when they're like man if we just If we could just get Christians in power and Christians controlled everything and we just forced everybody to follow Christianity, things would be better. I understand that desire. Our country has changed rapidly and all of a sudden, uh, you know, kind of this cultural understanding of Christianity and cultural respect for it has gone away. And the government, which kind of used to be neutral on religion, has increasingly become anti-Christian. So I understand where they're coming from. I just don't think it's going to produce the results that they want. When they came to arrest jesus His disciples drew swords and instead jesus let them draw his blood Because the church never grows by violence by becoming wolves He didn't say you're going out of sheep You better grow some fangs, because that's how we're going to beat back the other wolves and we're going to be the bigger pack And then everybody will respect our pack and all the wolves will want to be part of our pack He says go out and die That's not that's not a real encouraging message. Jesus like I don't like this I'd much rather skip this and go on to chapter 11. Like why are you telling us this? Jesus said you are not going to spread my kingdom message by winning battles I've already won the war and sometimes the church advances by us losing And that's not a message I like to hear. I don't want to be sheep in the midst of wolves. Eugene Peterson says The whole christian life is this learning how to die Wow, welcome to church right you feel good you excited about taking on the world. No, it's not the real encouraging message But if we are going to become like christ if we believe that the cross actually started this whole thing and the cross is the way forward Then we must be willing to go out a sheep in the midst of wolves not to win but be willing to suffer loss so that the message of jesus goes forth now this doesn't mean that we're just doormats and we're like just shoot me already you know just wear me down destroy me because of what he says next be wise as serpents and innocent as doves what a weird statement jesus Jesus is the master of weird statements. Remember, it's mostly an oral culture saying something provocative gets people to remember it Gets it to stick with people now We must understand in the first century serpents didn't have quite the evil persona that they do today Certainly in scripture in Genesis. We have the embodiment of evil as a serpent We have different pictures of serpent throughout scripture but there's also positive pictures of serpents remember the serpents bit all the israelites and moses put a bronze serpent up on a pole and all of a sudden they were healed and serpents in the first century had much more of an idea of being clever kind of how we think of foxes you know when we think of snakes we just always think evil um i think i have a picture from harry potter um i'm doing pretty good remembering my notes i'm just gonna say like i'm just gonna pat myself on the back um I'll get home and I'll be like, oh, I left out like 16 paragraphs, but that's okay (laughs) You remember in harry potter there were four houses in the magical school. He went to one had the symbol of a griffin One had the symbol of a badger one had the symbol of a raven one had the symbol of a snake guess who the bad guys were Yeah, the snake yeah, like big surprise, right in our culture snakes almost always have an evil connotation a snake shows up You're like, oh that guy's bad. He's got a snake Snakes are bad. That's bad news. In the first century, they were more like snakes are clever Kind of like in our story like the fabulous mr. Fox, you know foxes are clever. They're kind of smart and sneaky That's how they imagined snakes that snakes were wise. They were sneaky. They were clever Um, I have doors on my house and windows that I keep closed I went down and found every crack and hole in my basement, and I filled it full of foam. I have protected my house against snakes. And, you know, I took a shower a couple weeks ago, an afternoon shower. I got out of the shower, and a snake crawled up my drain. Now, if you're an animal lover, I'm sorry. I murdered I murdered the crap out of that snake. Because if a snake comes into my house, I don't want you there. I know they're good for the environment. I know he wasn't a poisonous snake, whatever. Don't come into my house, snakes. I'm warning you. I will kill you every time. But that snake was sneaky After I had all the entrances closed he found a way in now There was a lot of standing water. He probably washed down in the sewers. I don't know I've come up with all these schemes of how that snake came up that drain And now there is so much mesh and barbed wire and anti-snake protection on that drain. Nothing's coming up But i'll tell you this I think what jesus is saying is When you go into a world that is hostile to you because of your allegiance to me find clever ways to get around barriers to tell people about Jesus. When they have the door sealed and the windows shut and they've sprayed foam into every crack and crevice, come up the drain and tell people about the good news of the kingdom when injustice will be done away with, racism will be done away with, war and sickness and disease and death will be done away with, and a new kingdom is coming. Be sneaky like a snake. But in the next sentence, notice what he says, be as harmless as a dove. You may be sneaky like a snake, but you're not to resort to violence. This is Jesus, who in the Sermon on the Mount taught nonviolence. What did he teach? Enemy love. Love your enemies. He says, okay, while you're doing this, you're not to resort to violence. When you think, oh my gosh, I'm backed into a corner, the only way forward is to fight, he says, don't fight, be like a harmless Never resort to violence Believe that we move forward with gentleness and peace and love in the midst of violence In the midst of aggression or oppression or resistance And then he goes on and he says now i'm going to give you another promise and they're like, please jesus no more These promises are not good promises. We don't want these promises He says when you're dragged before courts and beaten when you're dragged before kings and sentenced to death and I'd be like, I don't like where this promise is going. Just stop. He says, when that happens, I'm going to give you the words to say. And I'd, if I was there, I'd be like, Jesus, why don't you promise to rescue me from that? Like, don't promise to give me the words to say. I don't care about having the right words to say. Promise me that you'll deliver me. Notice what he says. You'll be delivered over to imprisonment, to punishment, even to death. And he says, but I'm going to give you the words to that's just not the thing i'd be worried about i'd be like how do i get out of this and jesus says sometimes the way forward the way the kingdom will move forward is you going to the end of yourself and still sharing the good news of who i am and what i've done i mean if you look back through world history christians when they're killed and there have been Tens of millions if not hundreds of millions of christians killed throughout time They always seem to have really cool things to say. I don't know. I feel like jesus has kept this promise read fox's book of martyrs Man christians when you're just about to burn them or crucify them or throw them to animals They have some zingers. They're really good at saying some really cool things I had some cool quotes from christians in my notes. I'm going to try to paraphrase them the best I can um, this one guy he said when you throw me to the animals I hope they rush at me at full speed. I can't wait till those animals kill me because just now As you throw me to my death. This is me truly being a disciple He said that to a roman emperor before they threw him into a pit with lions. I'm like dang. Yeah, that's a mic drop darby That's right. I'm like, that's pretty good. I don't think he came up with that. I think jesus kept his promise Give him something to say there was another a few hundred years after jesus. He was also being killed And he said this Every injustice you do against me and the others like me Every time you kill us or burn us or crucify us you prove that we are innocent That what we say is true and that you are the author of injustice and then they killed him But the romans wrote down what he said and i'm like they were like Dang these these christians when you kill them they wax eloquent like they really they really got some good things to say I don't think they sat around in prison And they were like man, what kind of zinger can I really get these romans with right before they kill me? I think jesus kept his promise What I want jesus to promise is you will never go to the lions You will never go through trouble. You will never go through grief But he doesn't say that what he says is when you do I will give you words to say that will move the kingdom forward and will convince people that who I am and what I say is true. What I really want him to do is keep me away from all pain and suffering and tragedy. And he says, hey, you're still in that broken kingdom. It's crumbling. I'm going to resurrect everything. Nothing lost will be lost forever. I promise you. But he says, sometimes you're going to go to your death. You're going to lose things. You're going to suffer things. But he says, I'm going to give you words in that moment Sometimes I think we stress way too much over what to say to people Um, Occasionally, I'll run into somebody or one of my friends who asks a spiritual question And i'll think oh man, I need about six months to research this think about what i'm going to say It's so funny. I just thought about this This is literally a message about trusting the holy spirit to give you what to say When you don't aren't able to think about it and I lost my notes. That's that's pretty funny um But I think sometimes we worry way too much about being well prepared to know the right thing to say And sometimes people ask me questions and i'm like, oh, that's a really good question I don't know. I need six months to prepare. I want to think about it I want to research I want to read what other people have thought I want to read church history But you're right there on the sidewalk and you don't have time and I just say holy spirit Please let this not add barriers between them and jesus. Please help it to remove barriers between them and jesus Please give me something to say and I say something And sometimes later on being the personality type that I am I sit at home and I think shouldn't have said that I should have said it this way I should have done this I should have done this and I go through the conversation over and over and again and I fixate on it But in reality, we have to trust that the holy spirit in us Is going to give us the things to say when people are searching for Jesus if people in your life are asking spiritual questions That's not just because they were like, ah, I don't got anything else to do. It's because the Holy Spirit is drawing them to Jesus and he's positioning you to be the mouthpiece for Jesus to speak into their lives. We worry sometimes too much about having the right thing to say or knowing all the right information when many times we forget that we have the Holy Spirit doing the heavy lifting for us. All the pressure's not on us, right? Right? That's a scarcity mindset when you think everything depends on you an abundant mindset says the holy spirit is doing the heavy Lifting he's doing the hard work. I get to join him where he's working We're not inviting the holy spirit to be like hey, I've got this thing come help us. We're joining him He's already working. We just get to be a small piece of what he's doing So as we come to the end which I assume is the end because I don't have my notes, you know It feels like a good place to stop, right? I want to ask us about three things one you have an abundant or a scarcity mindset? And I'll just tell you, the last few weeks, I've had a scarcity mindset when it comes to this church. I'm like, I just don't have enough people. We're just not bringing in enough money. We don't have enough leaders. We don't have enough this. We don't have enough that. And all I've done is gone through everything that we don't have enough of and everything that should be more or higher or greater. And I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And the Holy Spirit, as I was writing this, just reminded me, it's not all on you. That's a scarcity mindset. It's on Jesus. It's on us together It's abundant mindset It's not all on me when you think it's all on you when you think we don't have enough. We can't do it It can't happen. That's a scarcity mindset You're thinking only from your perspective that everything depends on you instead of remembering that everything depends on god Second Are you willing to speak? Are you so afraid of saying the wrong thing that you say? nothing The Holy Spirit speaks for us when we're put under pressure. Sometimes I avoid being under pressure so much, I miss opportunities for the Holy Spirit to use me. I'm so afraid of ever being uncomfortable or to do something I don't like like preaching without notes I'm gonna really obsess over this probably for the next six months of my life. I really don't like this I feel very insecure right now I don't have my nice safe notes to look down at I keep looking down here even though there's no notes just because it makes me feel more comfortable (laughs) The holy spirit has you like don't be afraid to share with someone to speak to someone to encourage someone Sometimes we're so worried about doing something wrong, we don't do anything right. And there was a third point that I don't remember. So we're, Oh, I have them up here? Great. Awesome. Am I willing to lose in order for Christ to win? That's the third point. I remember two out of the three without notes. That's pretty good. What are you not willing to lose in order to see the kingdom advance? Next week, we're going to talk about how Jesus says... You need to hate your family if you're going to follow me. Dang, that's like, what? We're going to talk about it next week. But Jesus is saying the kingdom is so good. Don't let anything stand in the way of its advancement. And sometimes we start to think that something else is better than Jesus. And jesus says sometimes we get obsessed with the wrong things We hold on to things because we think if I lose this everything's over and jesus says nothing is ever really lost Because I promise a resurrection not just for you not just for your soul for your body for your family For your loved ones for everything that you have lost will be found And that's why we get excited about the kingdom that is coming That's why we don't have to fear like timothy keller on his deathbed He didn't have to be afraid because he said you know what? What? I know this isn't the end. I will sing and dance and live on this world again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.